What's up, guys? Welcome to The Strength Connection. I am Michael Krakowski, and I'm here to connect you with the top minds in the world of strength to share stories, insights, and experiences to help you become stronger every day. To stay up to date with everything happening on the show, you can go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com, where you'll get updates on all new episodes as soon as they drop, including all new programs and playbooks developed from each episode of The Strength Connection. And on top of that, you will receive a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge. It's the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training, along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Again, go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com. You can grab your free copy today. Lastly, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an awesome review for us. It does so much in helping spread the message of strength, and we greatly appreciate your support. You guys are awesome. So today I have a very special guest, Lance Kofel, strength coach from Oregon and now resides in Arizona. Lance is a true OG of the strength world, being a coach for over 40 years and an expert in numerous modalities. He's a former senior instructor with Strong First and the rest of his credentials are way too long to go through all of them. So you can go to the Strong First site under his name and you can check them all out there. But he was the first ever strength coach for the NBA when he was hired by the Trailblazers in 1978. And it was just a blast to dive into a plethora of different topics with Lance. One of the main things I was excited to connect with Lance on was his background in yoga, specifically Iyengar yoga and how it has benefited him over the years and how we found it was a perfect complement to his kettlebell training. Lance is an absolute wealth of knowledge and an incredibly humble professional. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with him. Lance gives some great resources for those who are interested in specific yoga practices that we'll put in the show notes here. And you can also follow him on Facebook at Lance Kofel. So without further ado, we'll get on with the show. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you on the inside. And we are live. Lance, thank you so much for the time, my friend. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to connect with you. I've um, After researching you a bit, you've been down the path of quite a few different modalities in the world of strength over, what, over 40 years you've been doing this now? Over 40 years. Yes, correct. I actually yeah. grew up in it. So uh, I could, I could, I could honestly say 63 years, but professionally over 40 years. Yes. Teaching and, and professionally. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I know you've been um, in the world of, you know, kettlebells and, you know, strong first. I know uh, right before we hit recording, you were telling me a little bit about your kettlebell origin working with Valerie Fedorenko before. Um, but mm -hmm. I know also been with FMS, Indian clubs, the, the Czech Republic, boxing, swimming, yoga, um, you pretty much have been doing it all. So I'm excited to, to go on a few different avenues with you today. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So I mean, to, to kick this off, Lance, what I'd love to do is get a little bit of your background for people who, who don't know you, kind of how you got into this world, um, you know, starting from <laughs> early on and uh, sure. kind of what inspired you to, to turn a career into health and fitness. Certainly. Um, and if I, if I bore you, cut me off at any time, because it's, there's, there's a lot, lots to that, but basically I grew up in a family of, uh, an exercise family. We didn't call it fitness back then. My father was a, a professional fighter, a professional boxer, uh, just Olympic style boxing. So I grew up in, in, in that realm, but we also had a, a traveling trampoline troupe. So we taught trampoline uh, to various uh, uh, communities in the Portland area. And oh, wow. we had a troupe that traveled and did halftime shows at basketball games and football games and that type of thing. So I grew up, uh, you know, boxing. I grew up on the trampoline. I grew up swimming competitively, and so uh, it just kind of was a transition. Uh, when I was 18 years old, 
I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I took off for a couple of years and I was a ski, a ski bum. I just skied for a couple of years and was, was sitting in a restaurant one night and decided I wanted to go back and, and be in the fitness world. And at that point, my father had left and my mother had a swim school. It was just a simple little swim school. So I went back and started teaching swimming. And then I got a, uh, I started, I built a little gym for myself in 1970. That would have been 77. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was sitting there one night with my two training partners and said, boy, you know, I'd like to open up a gym. And at the time, you have to understand that in the, in the greater Portland area, in the mid to late 70s, there was a handful of gyms. And I mean, you could probably count six total in the greater, greater Portland area. Wow. So now there's six on a, on, on a long block right. in Portland. <laughs> so anyway, I, I said that in one of our training sessions and they both encouraged me. And a year later, I had a gym open in 1978. So that's wow. kind of how it all started. I just opened up a traditional uh, weightlifting gym, uh, mm-hmm. bodybuilding gym, just a just a gym in 1978, and it was in a horse barn. So I actually took a horse barn and I I remodeled it, converted it over to uh, to a gym, and away I went. That was wow. The, I never looked back. What was the response like to opening a gym back in the late 70s? Was it uh, like was it a big turnout of members at that time? Because I don't really know. Like, was it was fitness even a huge trend at that point yet? Because obviously there wasn't a lot of spaces around. That's a great question. So no, fitness wasn't a big, it wasn't real trendy at the time, mm-hmm. but because I was one of only maybe five or six gyms in a, oh my gosh, a hundred mile or more radius, wow. um, I was packed. I was packed very quickly. I had people driving. I mean, imagine this. I had people, I was just telling one of my uh, uh, friends, I had people driving across town from Gresham to Lake Oswego to work out in my gym. That's unheard of. Now people won't go more than six blocks to get to a gym. Right. Rightfully so. So yeah, I I got full into a waiting list status within just a couple of years where I had to turn people away. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. The differences in times because now, because now everything is location and convenience is a huge piece that everybody has to, be focused on. But you know, it's interesting too, though, because if you have a right niche and you focus with it, I know a lot of people will travel past a lot of the generalized work to get into it. So, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of differences, but you know, probably some similarities in there yeah, as well. There's but- one thing, absolutely. And there's one thing that helped me tremendously. And I, uh, that we won uh, the, the Trailblazers, the, the local professional basketball team won the world championship a year before I opened the gym. Wow. And I was sitting in my gym one day and literally I lived in my office for about two years because I couldn't afford to live out. Mm -hmm. So I lived in my office and I was sitting in my office one day and our star guard, Lionel Hollins, walked into my uh, into my gym and asked me if I could help him out. And and so that brought the trailblazers to my gym. And so that was really a big deal because the trailblazers back then were huge, huge, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, popular in Portland. So a lot of people wanted to come just so they could kind of hang out and rub shoulders with the trailblazers in my gym. That was a big advantage. Wow. Yeah, no, because that was that was probably right before the days of like Clyde Drexler and like that team, right? Um, It was before the days. Yeah, Michael Thompson was our number one draft pick. And uh, he's still a great friend of mine. I talked to Michael regularly and I talked to Lionel Hollins as well. But yes, it was before Clyde and Kevin and Sam Bowie was our infamous 
number one, uh, our number yep. two pick over Michael Jordan. Sam was actually one of my pet students that, that they gave me as a project. So um, I actually became the official strength coach and the first one in the NBA in 1980. I could get this wrong, Michael, but I believe it was 83 or 84. I was hired as a, the strength coach for the Trailblazers. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because I know I I didn't know if it was your first it, you were the first strength coach of the Trailblazers or the first one in the NBA. So it was the entire I, NBA. You were the I first. Th- one. I think I can safely say it was the NBA at the time. It, it was unheard of to have a strength coach for basketball players. I'm sure there were some in the NFL, but not a lot of basketball players believed in weightlifting or, or lifting weights, strength training that much at all at the time at that time. Yeah. So what would, do you know, like their thought process at that time of why they felt that they needed to get a strength coach on staff at that point? Cause like, as you said, it really wasn't uh, a, a thing that anybody really held any value to. I can tell you exactly why it was Ron Culp. It was the trainer, the trainer at the time who now he may be retired now cause he's older than I am, but he went to, he went to Miami, I believe after the Blazers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was the trainer, their, their official trainer. He believed in strength training and he knew who I was. So he reached out to me to, to, cause I was working with the Blazers unofficially at the time. Okay. And so they wanted a strength, he wanted a strength coach. So I had to go through an interview process to actually get the job. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of how it went. The coach, uh, I won't mention any names at this mm-hmm. time. He wasn't interested in strength training. He didn't even want to meet me. He thought the strength training was just a bunch of whatever and right. didn't think the basketball players could benefit from it. But because the trainer wanted me there, they hired me. Right. Yeah, it is. It's so interesting to hear that because it, I mean, that's not that long ago, you know, it's like, it's uh, you know, I mean, you think of it in a span of time, you know, it's, you know, 30, 40 years or so, right. but um you know, and I've, I've heard that a lot of, and a lot of people, I think sometimes we put blame on the coaches for not thinking of that. But in reality, I think too, they probably got so much stuff on their mind as well of focusing on basketball and making this a better basketball team that they, you know, might not even just understand, like getting into, you know, the depths of strength and conditioning at that time. Well, Michael, that's a great point because I mean, you look at it at any level, you could look at it at a junior high or high school level. And back in the day when I was in the 70s, when I was in high school, the coaches back then were the strength coaches as well. Yes. And as you look at that, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. The coaches should be just like you said, concentrating on coaching the team and they should get strength professionals. Now, back in the 70s, there wasn't a big pool of strength professionals like there is now. Right. So I think that's why you see strength coaches now in almost any sport you look at any sport and i think you'll see a, a strength uh, professional coaching the uh, the strength athletes or the athletes well you know if you, you almost can kind of think of it like the medical field too like so long ago you went to your just your daily your physician your general physician for everything now right? there's a now there's a specialist for anything that you can go to and it's not just because they know that better it's just because people put more emphasis on specifically what they're practicing so I think it is just a good evolution, right? Of like, yeah, coaches should focus on getting the team better and let the strength coaches focus on that. And then good communication, that makes a championship team, right? And that's so true. And I tried, it's funny you say that because I tried to communicate with him, you know, show him what I was doing with his athletes, show him the in-season, the preseason, the postseason, all mm-hmm. the testing I did with the athletes. And he would just look the other way and said, I have no interest. So it's okay. It's okay. It's evolved and it's gone in the right direction. It's, it's similar to, to you were mentioning doctors and how doctors 
do what they do and, and they should send their patients out to physical therapists or to chiropractors right. or someone who can continue with their, with their strengthening and, the, and that type of thing. And then as they can send them to a strength professional after that. Yeah. you know, it, it's, I think it's just such an important thing when we get into this field, right? Because it's not that somebody's challenging what you know on something. It's you're providing more value and a better team to help yep. the people that you're working with. It's so funny because I, one of my first experiences being in the field of health and fitness was I worked with a high school crew team. It was the first team that I got to work with mm -hmm. in an old space. And uh, the team wasn't affiliated with the school. It was a club team. So the guy just came from Ukraine, uh, uh, from the Ukraine, who was the coach. And they always had strength coaches for their young team. So he just naturally hired us as a strength coach. Right. Sure enough, after two years, uh, we had a, two quads that were national champions. So all of a sudden, all the other teams started Start to ask it. us to come in and get in. So sometimes you just, you know, the first one through the First one through the door sometimes get a little bit, gets a little messy, but it opens up the doors for everybody else, right? Well, that, that's true. And those, those Eastern Bloc countries have always been ahead of us in strength and conditioning, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so I think it, it took us a while to catch up. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that we're caught up, but it took us a while to get there. Right. So going back a bit, so your, your father came from a fighting and boxing background and your mother came from a swimming background. So you kind of had two like very different, but very competitive, you know, kind of athletic sports that kind of, you know, built you up from there. So did, and with your father and fighting, did they do any kind of strength and conditioning work uh, you know, kind of back in that day? They did, uh, Michael, and it was everything wrong. In my opinion, I, as a matter of fact, my father and I, I let my father come into my gym after I'd opened up my gym and I would just kind of let him do his thing and say, dad, that's really not doing much because fighters back then, and this is way back. I mean, my dad was a fighter in the, in the forties and the fifties. Yeah. So they would lift very light weights for high repetitions. And I'd say, dad, that's really not doing anything for you. That's not strengthening you, you at all. I mean, you do light weights for high repetitions. When you hit the speed bag, when you hit the heavy bag, you're actually doing high repetition work right? <laughs> with very little, if any, with zero resistance. So by picking up a light barbell or dumbbell, you're really not doing much. So I would encourage him not to do anything or let me get you stronger. I mean, that was my father. He had long retired. Right. Let me get you stronger now. What you're doing is not getting you stronger. But we used to we used to laugh or I used to laugh about that. So, yeah, they did some strength training, but I don't believe in the way they should. Fighters now, I don't work with any current fighters. Mm -hmm. I didn't work with many fighters. So um, I don't know what they're doing these days. Yeah, I know. It's uh, I've talked with a couple different coaches and trainers um, who are fighting, and it's such a different, it's a, such a, a crazy world because, you know, the fighters, you're stepping into the ring and you're, you know, having a person across from you trying to kill you, pretty much from there. So yeah. your training yeah. really needs to make sure that you're building all the energy leading up to that fight. Yeah, and I think with fighting too, from what I see, and again, I don't specialize in work with fighters. There are a lot of people in the strong first community that do. But with, with a fighter, especially with the MMA fighters these days, they have so many modalities that they work with that mm -hmm. you've got to, you've got to, if you're going to do strength training, you've got to spend as little time as possible and give them the biggest bang for their buck. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why kettlebells is such an amazing tool, but I'm kind of getting off, off topic, yeah. I think. That's actually a, a, that's actually a segue I kind of wanted to go to. So, okay. I mean, you opened up your facility in, you know, late seventies, early eighties. Now, how did you get into the world of kettlebell training? 
Well, that's interesting because in the early 2000s, um, I'd been in the business for, for I don't know how many years by that, at that point, but I, I saw you know some of the books that came out from Pavel. And I got the books and I read them and there was a magazine out. And I can't remember the name of the magazine. You probably remember that uh, Pavel was was featured and I believe anyway, then they came out, the RKC came out with that, some, some, some magazine that uh, they'd send out. So I saw these magazines, but I was busy running a, a big, not a big box club, but a, uh, I had a swim pool. I had racquetball courts, I had the mm-hmm. gym. So I had a fairly large 25,000 square foot club um, that I was running. And then um, I closed that club in 2004. So at that point, when I closed the club and kind of semi-retired, I kind of picked back up those old magazines and got really interested in what this kettlebell stuff was. Mm-hmm. And that's why I found, uh, or how I found uh, Valery Fedorenko first and went back and got okay. my certification in kettlebell sport first. Okay. And then I, but I had every intention to get my heart style certification and then found Pavel in 2006 in the RKC. And so at that point, Michael, I had closed my facility. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of semi-retired but still wanting to be in the industry. So I found the kettlebells and boy, when I found that I fell in love. I mean, I just knew I found a tool that if I would have found, this is what's, what's interesting. If I would have found that tool in the late two, uh, 19, uh, 1999, 1998, 2000, mm-hmm. I think I would have gone out of business. And the reason I say that is because I think the kettlebell is so amazing and can do so much for you in strength and conditioning, I probably would have gotten rid of all my machines and said, I don't need this pec deck. <laughs> what am I doing with this, uh, you know, uh, bicep curl machine? Right. You know, there is some, there is some good they can do, but I probably, I'm so convinced that kettlebells is, is, is such an amazing tool. I probably would have gotten rid of all the equipment and everybody would have left because I would have been too soon. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> would have been too extent? fast of a transition. Yeah. Right. All of a sudden I would have had 25,000 square feet with a swimming pool, a basketball gym and kettlebells. And who knows, yeah. maybe I would have done well. Yeah. And no, it is. It's, it's interesting. It, you know, it's so fascinating to hear this Lance because I've, you know, talked with a lot of people before who have had their kind of kettlebell transformation, like that aha moment when they got into it I've, from both GS and, you know, a hard style sport. But at this point, when you, kind of first got introduced to this, you already had a full career under your belt in this strength and strength and conditioning field. So it's, it's right. kind of curious that what, what was it kind of about the kettlebell at that point that you realized like, holy shit, like this is just something different. Well, that was kind of it. I mean, I, I'd, I'd been through Michael, every modality that you can imagine. I was a huge researcher. I'd go to every major show to look at, I mean, all the other clubs in the Portland area, there were friends of mine. They'd reach out to me and go, Lance, what's the next, what's the, what's the, the next great machine that's out there? Mm-hmm. Treadmill, elliptical, uh, pec deck. I mean, they literally look at me because they knew I'd researched it. Okay. And, um, and so when the kettlebell go, came out, came out, when I found the kettlebell, and got my hands on it, Michael. I just, I just knew. I just knew by the by design that I'd found a tool that I no longer have to spend, you know, three hours a day in the gym uh, or on a treadmill and do the gym and then go out and run or do whatever. I could find one tool that mm-hmm. I could do everything and and shoot and, and and spend 15 minutes, 25 minutes, 20 minutes, and get an effective workout and strength and conditioning. 
So that that's the only way I can explain it really is, is this tool been around mm-hmm. for how long, not only in strength and conditioning, but used as, as a counterweights on grain scales in, in mm-hmm. Russia. Yeah. That, that this tool could be so amazing for, for, for many different modalities, yeah. you know, many different strength yeah. modalities. Yeah. You know, and it, it's funny. Uh, I had a, a good friend of mine, Jamie Lewis, on the podcast a little while ago. He's a he's a historian of strength and weightlifting, wow. and actually found I think the first ever kettlebell was about twenty five hundred BC. So we're going about five thousand years back. So if anybody right. thinks that kettlebells are a trend, I think it's uh, I think that safely puts that to bed. It's not. There. It's funny because I had an opportunity years ago. There's a bodybuilder named Bill Pearl. He's fairly famous in the bodybuilding world, and he's a great, great man. He's a five-time Mr. Universe, also extremely strong. Mm-hmm. And Bill, I had an opportunity to go to Medford, Oregon, and train with him in his gym. If you got up at 4.30 in the morning, showed up at his gym on, on his property at 4.30, you could train with Bill Pearl, the oh, legendary wow. Bill Pearl. So I showed up one day and trained with him. It was just him and I. Well, over in the corner, I saw these kettlebells, and this mm-hmm. was in the 70s. I saw these kettlebells and I said, Bill, and they're covered with dust. I said, what are those? He said, oh, they're things that circus strong men used to use. And oh, we never funny. got into it, but I'll never forget seeing those sitting in the corner. That's so fu- I know. Yeah, yeah. It was the circus. It was the circus strongman uh, kind of thing. That was just oh the odd objects uh, to lifting yeah, for a long look time. What, look what they did with them and look how strong they mm-hmm. were by lifting objects like this. Right. Oh, that, that's so interesting. Sandows and people like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Cause I mean, as I saw, like, I mean, you've gone through, so you've gone through a plethora of modalities of stuff of just doing mm-hmm. research and stuff. Was that something that like you always just enjoyed doing, or was it more just new opportunities kept coming up and you wanted to kind of stay ahead of the curve being in the, in the fitness business? The, the research you're talking about was that. Yeah. Something I enjoyed? No, I love that part of it. I didn't mm-hmm. like the business side of it. Luckily, I was in business with my sister and my mother. We were partners in this athletic club. So they ran the business side of it. My sister ran what was then, remember the aerobics? Uh, she ran the aerobic department mm-hmm. and uh, I did the strength department. So I had the, the ability to go out and, and like I say, and I just was always kind of tried to keep on the cutting edge of what was new in the strength world, whether it was a barbell, a dumbbell, a machine, what was yeah. out there. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then kettlebells are just the one that really just stuck for, for quite a while with you. It's stuck. And I, I can tell you right now, I'll never look back. I, yeah. I, I can't imagine anything coming down the pipe that, yeah. that'll do for me any more than what a kettlebell, what, yeah. you know, two 24 kg kettlebells will do for me. Yeah. I just, you know what I mean? That No, it's funny. It's the double 24s too. That's, that's the go. That's the dictator bells right there. You know, well, it's funny. Showed, that, that, that just showed that I'm not that strong, but still, <laughs> Hey, you know, I can do anything with. Absolutely. There you go. You know, it's interesting. Like, you know, for me, I kind of had a similar kind of experience. I was fortunate that I found this early, uh, but I kind of went into the FMS um, and the functional movement side of things first, then realized I got introduced to kettlebells. Actually, um, Brett Jones came to a level. He taught the first ever (laughs) FMS level two workshop at my gym that I was working at here in upstate New York. Right. And there was a there was an RKC who came to that event. It was a small event. It was like my team, maybe like four or five other people that came mm-hmm. in. But one of the guys was an RKC, just freshly minted. And one of the mornings, they were just playing around, screwing around with some bells. And I kind of, I just liked kettlebells um, just because I like the athletic movement, but I didn't really know much about it. So right. I just jumped up into the guys and said, hey, can you look at my swing? 
And within about seven minutes, Brett and this other RKC, I can't remember his name, with a 35 pound kettlebell proceeded to just absolutely wear me down. And I'm like, in a with a 35 pound, and you know, like anything, I was a 23 year old kid. I thought I was, had the cockiness to me right there. And all of a sudden they, with a 16 kilogram bell, they were making me plead that it was over. Yes. You know, going to, and uh, from there, it just, you know, kind of the same thing, but the movement quality of it. And I saw that, that carryover into any athleticism. Cause it was interesting. Cause my girlfriend was a dancer at the time and she saw the benefits of it from uh, you know, from the dance side of it, you know, and then right. I saw it from the athletic side of it. So really just the, the total carryover in kettlebell training can really go to pretty much anything. It really can. And, and you're fortunate to uh, have Brett be your first personal coach, one of the greatest coaches out there right? <laughs> and, and my boss, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that that's, um, it's amazing how a kettlebell can, Definitely humble you. We don't try to do that, but, but it can. Yeah, exactly. So, so one of the things I wanted to, you know, kind of jam with you on Lance was, uh, Mm -hmm. with the experience that you have with yoga. I know you've had a lot of experience in the past with yoga and kind of how you've worked that in with kettlebell training. So what, you know, was it yoga, something that you practiced for a long time? So, okay, let me think about this because I raced bikes, bicycles too, for quite a while. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you saw that, but I, I, and it pretty much ruined my body bicycle okay. racing. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love bicycle racing, but mm-hmm. being bent over a bike, uh, 30 hours a week, uh, literally when I was racing, um, uh, professionally, uh, just kind of ruined my body. And I ended up with a reverse curve in my lumbar spine, literally a reverse curve. So, oh, wow. um, and that's some, some pretty good problems in my cervical spine as well for being bent over and looking down the road. So I was kind of forced to find a physical therapist, which I had several friends who were physical therapists. Um, but I found a physical therapist named Julie Goodmastad. And she's a, she's also a very well-known Iyengar yoga teacher mm-hmm. and Iyengar is a style of yoga and, uh, found her so I could keep racing bikes. And she, she is a, she's a physical therapist, a registered physical therapist, but also was teaching yoga and using Iyengar yoga in their physical therapy to help rehab their, their patients. And so I went to her strictly to get rehabbed. And then mm-hmm. I fell in love with yoga. I had wow. no intention to stay with yoga. I said, all I want you to do is fix my back so I can get back to racing bikes mm-hmm. and walking without a cane. Literally, I was walking with a cane, racing 80-mile Category 1 pro bike races. You got mm-hmm. If I was on a bicycle, I was comfortable. Off a bicycle, I was a mess. So wow. yoga fixed me. Yoga got my reverse curve and my lumbar spine back mm-hmm. and did some things to me that I didn't know yoga could do. What I didn't realize, Michael, was yoga. And I don't know a lot about – there's hundreds of different styles of yoga. You, right. You probably know that. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with Iyengar. Okay. Iyengar yoga is very alignment oriented. Okay. And, it, and they also use props, belts, blocks, blankets, rolls, different things. And so what Iyengar yoga did for me that I didn't realize it could do for me is not only make me more flexible and fix my spine, but it made me stronger. It strengthened mm. me. I mean, to the point where my legs were getting very strong by doing warrior poses and just different poses. I had no clue. So I just stayed with it. And so I found yoga before I found kettlebells. 
Gotcha. Um, so that kind of gives you a background of how I found yoga. So how long, how, so you raced for, for what, eight years, you said professionally? No, I only raced and I was an old guy too. Trust me. When I say professionally, I was a category one okay. cyclist and raced on a pro- professional team. I was kind of the token old guy and, and I was big for a bicycle racer. Mm-hmm. So they kind of used me too in criteriums in different races as a little bit of muscle. Uh, because in, in bike racing, a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of contact in the sprinting Correct. and things like that. So, so anyway, I, I did one year on a professional team is all. And, and, and the rest of the time I was a category one uh, racer yeah. on the track and the velodrome mm-hmm. um, in criteriums and road races. It's so funny because, you know, cycling, I think, is one of the most misunderstood sports that I found. And I just learned more about it from uh, getting close with my friend Menachem Brody, who's a uh, huge cycling coach in Israel. Um, mm-hmm. His book just came out, um, Strength Training for Cycling Performance. And, oh, wow. but like, th- you know, 30 out, you think like 30 hours a week on a bike, how it can actually completely change the form of your spine. And oh. it is just insane. But the, uh, the enduring, like it's such a, it's such a brutal sport on your body, the endurance of it, but people think like running is bad on your body, but it seems like cycling, just the amount of, of pounding that you put on your body, it can have some serious effects. It it can, it doesn't have the impact Mm -hmm. that that running has, but you're in a position that, that a human isn't meant to be on for that long. Mm -hmm. And then, then just the intensity of it. And um, so, yeah, it definitely, you know, my knees were good. My hips were good. My mm-hmm. back suffered. And, you know, like I say, both my lumbar spine and cervical spine. So if you look at a bike racer, just look at the position they're in. You can't really be in a, a really good anatomical, correct position. <laughs> you're gotcha. not upright to, to if, you, and if you do it over and over again, you're so repetitive. But any sport, Michael, and you know that any sport, if you're that you, you do so many repetitions, it's good to do something like yoga like mm. kettlebells with a good uh, coach to kind of reverse the effects of that sport. So you can keep doing it and excelling at it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So just to go back to, so this girl, Julie, she was a physical therapist, you know, for she you is to a get back. Yes. And still involved. Yeah. And, and so from that too, she got, she got you directly involved in yoga. That's a really cool thing because I know a lot of PTs, they stick just specifically with therapists and you wouldn't think that, they would bring you into yoga practice, but it seems like she was a very forward thinking in what very, you really needed. Very much. And they do that still. Uh, her studio is now, is now called the Paxson Yoga Center mm-hmm. with a good, good Mastad tradition. And Julie teaches all over the world. So to, to, to talk a little bit of, uh, about that is, is yeah, she, she used physical therapy modalities, but mainly uh, she, she got you, you know, segue right into yoga poses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and things like um, uh, the cobra pose, which we use in strong first, right. we use we don't call it the cobra pose, but we, we, we do that. And they do use it in uh, physical therapy, too, is the, the McKenzie press up. That's basically a yoga cobra where you're gotcha. on your stomach and you, know, you press up. So um, anyway. Yeah, you know, it is. And I, I think one of the things that seems like um, it just kind of gets lost for a lot of people with yoga is there's like, you said, there's like hundreds of different variations. And I think like so many people don't know like which one is what. So the one that you did was Iyengar is more about right. a al- It's more about alignment. Is it yes. focused more on 
the mobility side of it um, as well as the stability or is it seems like it has a lot of the strength piece to it as well? Yeah, all of those. And, and mm-hmm. the, the thing I'd say about BKS, BKS Anger is the man who, 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 who came, who uh, um, had the Anger Yoga and he's, he's now passed away not too long ago. But mm-hmm. the, if I was going to send somebody to yoga and I don't know a lot about the other ones, I would send them to an Iyengar practitioner because they do concentrate so much on alignment. And the reason I, I like that is because with kettlebell training through the strong first system, I mean, when you, when you learn how to do a swing, I mean, what do you learn first? You learn where you put your feet, you know, right. where are my feet supposed to be? Where are my knees supposed to be? Where are my hips supposed to be? We don't hand you a kettlebell and say, okay, this is what you do and show them mm-hmm. how to swing. We break it down into so many different steps so that someone can learn how to swing a kettlebell safely. It's the same thing in Iyengar yoga. If you're going to learn to do a warrior pose, which is common along many yoga, um, uh, different uh, modalities of yoga, mm-hmm. the, the warrior pose, you need to know which way your back foot should be facing, which right. way your front foot should be facing. Now, when you bend your front knee, where should it be aligned with your foot or not with your foot? Mm-hmm. Where should your hips be? Where are your shoulders, your arms? So that's why I believe I liked Iyengar so much because it's so safe. Some people can get bored with it. They're like, I just want to get on with it. Give me an advanced yoga pose. Show me how to do it and leave me alone. And that's how you you get injured. Same thing with the kettlebell. If you tell somebody, you know, it's going to take you a while to, to get proficient at a swing. Well, I don't have that much time. I'll give you one lesson. I want to know how to swing, do a get up, a snatch, and then I'm going to be gone. I'll buy one lesson from you. Exactly. I, not, I won't give that person a lesson. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's similar to yoga. You, you, exactly. You, right. Well, it's, it's like, you know, I want to build a house and it's like, okay, well, you first, you, you know, pour the foundation, you know, exactly. down from it. It's like, okay, well, you know, the foundation looks pretty boring. It's like, well, you know, yeah, your house wants to stand for more than today. So we're going to pour the foundation. Exactly. You know, down. Yeah. The thing that I, I, got more interested in uh, understanding yoga more really over this past year. Um, you know, Tim Almond, I got to talk to for a bit who I know is big in, um, I think Ayurveda yoga um, in there. And I know from the kettlebell practicing his, I was like, Oh, let me take a look at this as well. Because I found that, you know, with kettlebell training, I think it's such a, especially with the feed for attention with the strong first principles, it's such a good modality of getting stronger. But at the same time, it's like, Sometimes having that heavy weight in your hand, it forces you into a focus where yoga of getting in and where it's a lot of times just your body weight, you might not have that same stability when you don't have that external load on you. And I think it's like just as important to have that foundation of stability with just your own body weight. And what it seems like with uh, yoga is it allows you to kind of practice those movements of stability, aligning your foot properly in your knee and also kind of breathe into that motion a little bit more. So have you found that at all in your yoga practice? Yeah, yes, I have. And, and when you, when you talk about that, it's, 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 it's so important that, 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 I mean, you, you can, there, there are people out there that, that I say teach yoga and there's people out there that demonstrate yoga. I mean, you can demonstrate mm. a pose and someone can watch you and try to do it, or you can break the pose down. And, and I think you talked about a kettlebell and with, with, with the external load. I mean, there are things we do in kettlebells that 
a heavier weight can fix things. Yes. I want to be careful. I want to be careful how I say that, but well, let me reverse that and say, if you take someone who's not really proficient at a kettlebell swing or a kettlebell snatch, and you give them a super light kettlebell and you tell them to snatch it, things may go really wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean exactly. Give them a really light kettlebell. Whereas if they had a moderate weight or a heavier weight it can, and they had a, a level of competence, it can actually fix things. And so when, with yoga, um, there's, there's a lot of injuries in the yoga industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that is because there is no external load possibly. And people will just mm-hmm. do things and not worry about the alignment and try mm-hmm. to get into ranges of motion that they're not prepared for yet. Right. Um, I mean, you can take a pose like a warrior. I go back to the warrior pose, warrior one in particular, and you may watch a, a very flexible, stable, um, yogi that can get into the warrior one with a 90 degree angle at their front front knee. And then you take someone like me when I first started, who's very competitive and said, I can do that. And guess what, Michael, I could do that. But what happens when I get in that 90 degree angle on my front knee, my, my psoas muscle wasn't, uh, was not nearly, uh, flexible enough to allow me to get a vertical spine, mm. neutral vertical spine. So I could get a vertical spine with a lot of compression in my back. So there's a lot of things you can do in yoga and look like you're in a good pose, but not be in proper alignment. Does that make sense? Ah, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. So it's like, yes, you can do it, but should you do it? Exactly. That's a different question. Exactly. And I think with yoga more than anything, because People assume that yoga, well, I'm just going to go in, just going to go in and, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that will get you into advanced poses, mm-hmm. a lot of teachers out there when they shouldn't. Just like in kettlebells, we don't show someone a kettlebell snatch right off the bat. You know, we exactly. show them the hinge pattern, we bring them up the chain, and eventually they're doing that. And the same thing that should be done in yoga, there's certain things that you want to do at the start, and then you advance. Right, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering too, because... I know like hot yoga and Bikram yoga got so, uh, so popular for so long. I did one hot yoga class and I'm still recovering to this day. It was about 20 me, years me, ago, me too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is, it seems like, uh, you know, it's almost like something like that where you get, you know, the body warm. So it feels good at that time, but you almost force yourself into a false sense of stability and where your range of motion, you know, really can be. That's why I think the FMS program was so powerful. It's because, what, you know, it's like, what can you like the difference of flexibility and range of motion, right? It's like, what can you passively get to, but what can you actively control at the same yeah. time? And, and what, what should you be doing right now? What should you not be doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you talk about FMS and, you know, I did uh, the, I think the, the, the first TK FMS mm-hmm. and had the honor of uh, Gray was there and his wife was there and Brett was there. So it was an honor to have those guys there for the four mm-hmm. days. But, but I came back from that and I had students of mine and I'm sure you've probably done the same thing where I, I backed them up. I mean, yes. I had one student where I said, you have to stop running. <laughs> That's really hard to do. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I, I literally had to, I couldn't get him to stop running, but I, I had to pull him back on some other things mm-hmm. to get him in proper alignment in the proper, the proper movement pattern. Yep. You know, my, uh, oh my gosh, my CKFMS story of people, I think have heard this before, but I went to the one in 2011 
And, you know, it's all RKC instructors at that time. So everybody's, you know, got a good foundation of strength, but Brett put everybody in a half kneeling position, completely aligned in there. And you see some, I've saw some of the strongest people I've ever met in my life, pouring sweat, just trying to hold that position. And so they said, it's like a regression doesn't mean an easier version A regression might mean that it's exactly what you need to put your body in that right pattern of where it's set, uh, you know, it's of what you need. So you can build that, that sensory awareness of it. Yeah, and then, absolutely. And then you can build on that. And it's really hard for, especially when you're working with athletes that yes. want to get to the harder moves, they want to mm-hmm. get to the, the bigger, more exciting stuff. They're not yeah. willing to back up on that. And it's so important. Yeah. How was that? Like, I mean, I know it was a long time ago when you first worked with, uh, with the NBA trailblazers there, but I mean, are, were they pretty receptive to strength coaching when you first got into them? Pretty much. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was pretty su- surprising actually to me, some of them just wouldn't do it, which mm-hmm. was fine. Some of the superstars, as a matter of fact, I have to tell you if it's okay on a story here, sure. that, um, Clyde, uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't do it wouldn't strength train with me. Clyde and I are good friends. Mm-hmm. We we're good friends, but he wouldn't do his, my strength training and they, they wouldn't force him to do it. But Clyde was happened to be a, a kind of a exceptionally strong, kind of a freak of nature. Yes. He was just this amazing, strong person that didn't, I guess, I, I don't want to say didn't need it, but just mm-hmm. played basketball. But there was, other, but most of them were very receptive to it and let me do my job mm-hmm. and did what I asked them to do. Yeah. Right. And especially when they saw the improvements in their strength and in their flexibility. Right. Um, yeah. They, they, they wanted more of it because when, when you look at an athlete like that, money speaks too. if they think they can prolong their career, if mm-hmm. they can stay strong and then and, and play the game for another year or two. I mean, that's millions of dollars to them. It's yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, and we kind of, you know, somebody like Clyde Drexler, who, I mean, you kind of, they're like the outliers, right? It's like the, not the normal, you know, type people is one of the greatest of all times, you know, right. in there, you know, from, yeah. so, but you, you look at a lot of the guys who are just there trying to play for another year or two, like taking that seriously, all of a sudden, yeah, that completely changes the economics of their whole lifestyle by adding Absolutely. another year or two to their career. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's freaking huge. So, um, yeah. So, with the, when you got into kettlebell training, you were already doing yoga for a while. Did you see like some of the similarities of the principles of training that you were getting from kind of the RKC system uh, back then into what you saw with yoga? I did all, all the all the alignment principles we talked about earlier mm-hmm. were just boom right there. And it's funny because um, when I went to my first RKC, uh, my RKC one, um, I didn't know Pavel at all. I knew who he was. Mm-hmm. but I didn't know him. And obviously he didn't know me. Um, but we were walking back to uh, the hotel and Pavel was kind of near me and he looks over and he, and he calls me by name and I couldn't believe he knew my name. I mean, that's amazing. Pavel will meet you once and he'll know your name the next time you see him. It's a scary and thing. Yeah. And, he, and he looked over and he said, Lance, how are you liking the, and I about fell over when he called me by name. And, and then he said, I understand that you do yoga. And I thought, how did he know that? I, I must have put it on my resume or mm-hmm. on my, uh, you know, how you fill out the thing when you go to the, the certification. Oh, right. Yep. And he, and I thought, oh no, should I admit it? Because I didn't know <laughs> if Pavel would like yoga <laughs> or not. But the funny thing is, is Pavel happened to really respect 
Iyengar yoga. So he was familiar with that style of yoga. Mm-hmm. Now, I never asked Pavel. He asked me that first day I met him if I would write an article <laughs> on, okay. on the similarities. And Michael, I have started it and I have not finished it, if you can believe it, uh, since that time, <laughs> since 2006. I, I shouldn't admit that, but that's, I still have to finish that article one day. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a little bit of a slow play there, Lance. Right? Super slow. Brett and Pavel have <laughs> been after, after me to write some articles. So I, I've got about six or seven I think good ones that are all not finished. So I need to finish those. So, but, but I did recognize that, that alignment, uh, the, the principles that they taught us that were so strict on, mm-hmm. on where you put your feet and where you're, where you're standing and how you finish to swing and, you know, what you're supposed to look like at the top of a swing. All those mm-hmm. things spoke to me very loudly. Um, you know, I don't know if it was just because of my training in Iyengar yoga um, I've always been interested in fitness to do the right thing mm-hmm. for myself and for my students. So, but uh, it was just a perfect fit. It was just, I think, luck. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I just found that a lot of the students that I have worked with over the years who have had some sort of yoga background have gotten the, the connection, especially with things like the get up, you know, like learning the steps of, you know, the Turkish get up, which is kind of like loaded yoga almost in a sense with all the different movement patterns right. that we get. So I think it's that, um, that awareness that I found, it seems like, cause I've, I was into kettlebells for a long time before I really jumped into anything, you know, with yoga and now I practice it, you know, more regularly now, but the, you know, the driving through the floor with your feet and stability, that awareness of, as you said, the alignment, cause that's, I think the, the thing, especially for, you know, the weekend warriors who were just trying to stay in shape as we go through life, alignment can change on a day by day basis. So being cognizant and aware of that in your strength training practice will not only give you better strength training, but probably going to keep you you away from injuries for the long term. Well, absolutely. And in yoga, obviously we're bare feet, barefoot. Mm -hmm. So, so that was something I remember Pavel, the first time uh, that uh, uh, that first RKC he had said, you know, because a lot of people had fancy shoes on. I won't mention any names, any brand names, but they had fancy shoes on. And Pavel made a comment. He goes, the less expensive the shoe, the better. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget him saying that. Basically, he was telling you to go out and get a pair of Chuck Taylors for, for 10 bucks back then. That's you know, so, you know, it's my uh, walking into the community center in Minnesota on that. I had a pair of Chuck Taylors on. And this other guy I just met right next to me, he was the only other one that had Chuck Taylors and Pavel was coming around, kind of meeting everybody, introducing him. And it was like, you know, this like star studded like moment for a sec. And he looks down at both of our feet at the same time and just looks up and just nods and walks away. (laughs) <laughs> we both just kind of came. I think we that cemented just a, a friendship right there, just fist bumped and just kind of walked right. off from there. But that is you <laughs> good move. No, it was funny when he said that. I mean, I was all over that because and that was right before I believe the five fingers and the minimalist yep. mm-hmm. shoes started emerging, vivos and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I train to this day. I, I have I have an, an old pair of the Adidas five fingers. They have a they have a five fingers version I was given. And mm-hmm. some of my old um, five fingers and some vivos. Yep. But as often as I can, I don't have shoes on. Yes. I'm in, I'm in bare feet outside, inside, because it's the same thing with yoga as it was that Pavel and Brett taught that if you can get that connection 
with the earth. If you can get the, in yoga, it's, it's, it's getting your feet rooted to the ground yeah. like a tree pose. I used to tell people in a tree pose in yoga, you know, I have says size 10 and a half shoe. If I could have had a size 15 shoe, it would have helped me out so much a 15 foot because the bigger your base, I mean, the better it is for that, for a lot of different, different poses and similar mm-hmm. to what we do with the, and there's also the nerve endings and things like that, that we get the feel and, mm-hmm. and the, that strength from the, from the ground up. So that was a yeah. big, big similar similarity. Yeah. It's, I think it's, you know, the foot and the ankle are kind of the forgotten things that we forget about as far as strengthening, you know, in there, because oh. we lock them up in a shoe that's, you know, got the nice cushion from the air, the Nike Air Maxes, oh, yeah. stuff. nothing against Nike Air Maxes, but uh, it's, I found too, from a while of training, even in flat soled shoes into when I started working at a studio not too long ago and everything that we did with bare feet and actually getting your feet involved in your strength training and into driving through, like with your big toe, all of a sudden now creates even more strength that you might've not even known you had grip strength and really taking care of your feet and building your foot strength. I think that's kind of like the fountain of youth and the secret sauce to, to keeping your strength up. You know, so much. I mean, we're, my wife and I were on our way back this morning. We're remodeling a house out here from home Depot. And I saw this woman, a young woman jogging, and I just, I just cringe. I was like, oh, she had like clown feet. I mean, yeah. that's actually a term in, that, that some, some <laughs> people use where her feet were going out to the side. And I thought, I wanted to pull my car over and say, stop the madness. Stop what you're yeah. doing. And, uh-huh. and, 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 and looked over at my wife and said, she needs to get into a physical therapist or someone that mm-hmm. can do a gait analysis because everything starts from your feet. If they could correct... Yes the way she just strikes the ground, they mm-hmm. can probably correct so many other things up the chain. Uh, but anyway, so that that's so true. So important. Right. Yeah. Well, it is. It's, it's funny because there's so much emphasis with people on correct form and workouts and training. And yes, it is very important to have good form. But when you actually just look at the natural movements that you're doing throughout the day, like you're going to take way more steps throughout the day than you are reps underneath the squat bar or with a kettlebell in your hand. Oh my so gosh. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, Fred Hatfield, I don't know if you, know, you remember Dr. Squat. Pavel will know, probably knew mm-hmm. who he was, but he was a doctor, a PhD um, in exercise physiology, and he was also a world champion powerlifter. But he, uh, years ago, they were talking about how dangerous squatting was. And he said, really, if you do a 600-pound squat correctly, you're squatting 600 pounds. But if you're a 200-pound man and you go out jogging, every time one foot strikes the ground, you're putting 600 pounds of force on the ground. So get home and multiply the thousands of times your foot struck the ground at 600 pounds per time versus the squats you did in correct form. So that made so much sense to me that if you do it correctly, it's so important to do it all correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the sheer math of thinking about that is just enough to make your head explode. To stop jogging. <laughs> right? but no you know, doubt. Back to the bare feet it, in teaching yoga, you know, I would see so many students come in, especially I, I, I taught a lot of beginning students. Julie had me work with a lot of the elderly students and the beginners. Not quite sure why, but um, but you'd see, you know, they'd come in and they, they, you'd have to have them remove their, their, their shoes and their socks to do yoga. And you'd so many feet, see so many feet, Michael, that I would call dead. And when they, you, you look at a 60, 70 year old person that's been in a shoe all day long 
probably all night long until they get into bed. And this is true. A lot of their feet have died. I mean, a lot of these people's feet, wow. they're just so deformed. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but they're so yeah. deformed. You're like, oh my gosh, they have no flexibility, dorsiflexion, um, uh, plantar flexion at all in their feet. So you have to spend time just working on getting their feet back alive before you can have them do a warrior pose or a tree pose or a downward dog for that matter, wow. because they can't get the flexion or the extension in their toes to do certain wow. poses. So yeah. pretty amazing, uh, yeah. starting with people uh, you know that, that are elderly with exercise, right. but it can all come back. It, it can all be reversed. I've seen yeah. it happen. Well, it's amazing because so many people would just like if they went into a yoga class, then that person who didn't take care of their feet, then would just either not get the benefit of her, they might they get injured. And then all of a sudden, oh, yoga is not good for you because I got injured in it. It's like, no, not so much. It's just you need to start from exactly where you're at every right. moment. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Lance, this has been great. Um, You know, it's been great to connect with you. The, um, I, I younger, am I saying that right? I'm sorry. I younger. Wow. Okay. Is there any um, good sites or resources that you could recommend um, for people who are more interested in taking a look at that? You know what? I, I don't know if I'm supposed to, to uh, on your, on your podcast here to advertise for anybody, but I would, I would recommend uh, good Mustad. I'd look up the name good Mustad mm -hmm. because there is a, there is a yoga center in Portland that they do online type of stuff. And I really can't recommend other than that sure. because I know these people and, and they're top, top notch um, mm -hmm. people. And it's, it's called the Paxson, P-A-X-S-O-N Yoga Center in Portland. And I do know, especially with all this COVID mess and everything that's going on, they do a lot of things um, online. Okay. So that would be one resource that I would look at. Awesome. And they, yeah. And from there, if there's people in different cities and you know, different places, I'm sure that they could uh, help them reach out to different uh, quality centers to, to if, if they're interested in looking into that. Awesome. That's great. Um, yeah, no, definitely. We'll put it in the show notes. So um, Lance, thank you so much for your time, brother. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, it's been friend. awesome. Yeah. So uh, listeners, thank you so much for your time and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for connecting. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.